0: We're getting close to the end of our summer preaching uh, schedule on James. You got me this week, you got Zap um, next week, and then you got Josh who's going to close it out. Um, the week after that and so uh, hopefully this has been good for y'all it's been good for us i, I think josh has mentioned how um, just the, the way we've kind of gone about this is kind of coming together as a, as a group and kind of preparing uh, together and so it's just been really good for for us to be able to do that good for me um, because it's just it's just super helpful having a bunch of guys around just talking about uh, about the guy's word and um, just seeing the different insights that come out so it's really kind of shaped this sermon tonight i know it shaped some of the other ones so hopefully Hopefully, y'all have enjoyed it as much as uh, we have. So, um, all right. Well, uh, let's jump right into it. Um, Let's go ahead and put the slides up that we've been going through um, every week. And we'll just kind of run through them real quick because I know those of y'all that have been here have seen them every week. So, just setting up uh, James, the book. Um, The Who is uh, the author is James the Just. He was um, the leader of the uh, Jerusalem church. Um, He was the the brother of Jesus. Um, The What? Uh, This is a a letter to the Jewish uh, Christian House churches that were were scattered throughout the region. So after um, Jesus, uh, you know, went to the cross, died, rose again, um, the churches came under persecution, scattered, um, and so this is to who it is. Um, the when is early to early mid 40s. Um, uh, the consensus is it's the oldest New Testament book, and uh, the where is uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, the Mediterranean, Asia Minor, and Europe, basically where the churches had uh, scattered to. The why. Uh, this is the uh, super important one. Um, James is writing this to pastor them through difficulty with this, mas- with this message. And his message to them is: um, No matter what is going on, live out your faith. And uh, we're gonna. Um, all of the sermons have kind of centered around that. And um, tonight is gonna be no different. So we're gonna see uh, how that kind of ties in specifically. So um, tonight we're gonna be going through uh, chapter four, verse thirteen through five twelve pretty big chunk of scripture. So hope y'all brought dinner and a snack and all that stuff because we're going to be here a while. No, not really. Um, No, it's it's, it's a lot of stuff. We probably could have done a sermon or two on each. Uh, They have three sections on it basically. Um, And we probably could have done a sermon or two on each of them. But uh, but I think there's some good stuff, uh, some consistent themes throughout. So hopefully it'll be... It'll be good. So, um, all right, let's go ahead and read. What we're going to do is we're going to, uh, there's, I think, three sections. So we're just going to uh, read through um, each one individually. I'm going to kind of read through them, talk about it, and then we'll go from there. So let's, let's turn uh, to uh, James 4, verse 13. It says, uh, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So, all right. So who's who's James talking to? We already established that he is talking to uh, the Jerusalem church. And so in this passage, what we see is... This little uh, section of scripture, he is talking to, uh, he's talking to Christians, talking to people that were a part of the church. Um, but he's, probably, he's mainly addressing some of them, the, the business owners, some of the merchants that were present within the body. Um, these are people that had some success um, uh, with their money and everything. I know the majority of the, per, uh, the church was poor or whatever, but the, there were a few people that had some success business-wise. And so, um, so these are the merchants, fairly wealthy. Um, and what he's doing is he's basically um, taking them to task. For, uh, for lack of a better word, or just kind of addressing um, this view towards life that they had, they had developed as a result of their success. He's basically saying that they just had developed this view that um, that, uh, that they could live life, they could plan, they could do all these things without uh, dependence upon the Lord. Um, you look at uh, uh, verse 13, it says, you know, he's, these people are basically saying, you know, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a place and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And so... What James is doing, he's not saying that, you know, going in and planning, that's not a bad thing. You know, making a profit, definitely not not a bad thing. Um, but what he's doing is he's addressing the, the heart behind it. Um, that heart that sets itself up as um, uh, self-sufficient and self-reliant. Uh, and that's really what he's addressing um, with with this passage. Um, uh, I think this is a, a heart that we, that we see, like, kind of prevalent throughout the world. You hear... You hear people talk about, you know, you, if you can put your mind to it, you can do anything you want to. Or, you know, you control your own destiny. We hear those things kind of out in, out in the world and um, that whole pursuit of the American dream, I think we hear that a lot and kind of taking, taking life uh, by the horns, all that stuff. So you see that that, that theme kind of prevalent throughout uh, the, the world that we live in, see it on advertisements, commercials, all that stuff. Um, And I I don't want to completely dismiss a lot of those principles because within those, at surface level, there's some good things. Hard work, good thing, you know, Um, uh, like really striving to be better, not a bad thing. Um, But I think if you kind of dig into those, uh, a lot of those advertisements, a lot of those beliefs, at the very root of that is this self-sufficiency, this illusion of like self-sovereignty that exists within those statements that uh, is extremely uh, harmful to us, harmful as a society. Um, harmful as individuals, and so, um, so this is kind of what what James is addressing, and this we see this within even not only in the world but within ourselves. Um, I think we can all identify with the fact that. Um, like success can sometimes lead to that self sufficiency in a sense where we, you know, you get to you know, get good at something, um, you get proficient at something, and whether it be sports, job, or whatever, and you begin to function like, well, you know, I got this down. You know, I don't need any help with this. Um, you know, somebody tries to correct you, you're like, oh, I got this. You know, you, you haven't been doing this as long as I have. Um, and so I think that we see this in the world, but I think we're also um, influenced um, by this within. Um, within the church as well. And so James is kind of, he's pointing this out and he's addressing it fairly fairly strongly. Um, and he addresses it in, uh, in a couple of ways. Before we get to that, I kind of want to maybe talk about some ways that we may, I uh, meant to mention this earlier, but we can talk about it now. Um, so we have that attitude that can kind of creep in. Uh, I think sometimes we don't realize it's, it's crept in, um, especially in regards to the Lord. Like we don't, you know, we're Christians, we come to church, all that stuff. Um, so, we we say, yeah, I'm, I'm dependent upon the Lord, heck yeah. Um, but I think we take a step back and look at our lives, there's a certain things that can maybe um, point to the fact that um, we kind of think we have this thing together, that we're, you know, we're pretty good. Um, one thing is uh, prayerlessness. Um, we talk a lot about prayer within our church and, and even have addressed some prayerlessness that we felt has been going on within our church body in the past, and so... Um, Prayer is just a big deal. Prayer shows um, dependence upon the Lord. It shows the fact that you're communicating with the Lord. That's why we develop relationship with Him. And so one of the ways you can kind of begin to, to see that you are kind of drifting towards that like self-sufficiency, self-sovereignty is if prayer is basically absent in your life. Um, or look at, look at it this way: you can look at um, you know, what types of things do you rarely, have ever, talked to the Lord about? You know? Um, I'm sure several things can come to mind. Um, uh, what types of things do you never talk to the Lord about? You know, never bring to Him, never think about whenever you're performing them. Um, those types of things are, are, are indications that um, we are kind of moving in a path towards that self-sufficiency. Um, which really is pride. I mean, that's, that's really the, the easy way to say it. Um, what, uh, what about your time with, with the Lord and His Word? You know, how much, how much time are you spending just reading? And I don't, as I'm going into this stuff, this is not like a, y'all are terrible, you know, I can't believe y'all aren't getting in the Word, I can't believe y'all are praying. Not at all. And I don't want us to, like, James is definitely tough on on his church throughout, uh, throughout this, really the whole book. But if you look at what, like, he's doing, he's pastoring them through some tough times, you know. And so... Um, so this is not meant to like come in and condemn and like just jam y'all and all that stuff. It's more of a let's evaluate our lives. Let's look. Let's see um, where we are not functioning in the way the Lord created us to function, and let's identify that and let's let's correct it. So so as I'm going through this, just keep that in mind. Um, so time in the Word, um, God gave us His Word to reveal Himself, to to show us um, more about us, to um, show us how He intended us to live this life. Um, and so if, we, if we, we say we believe all those things, but we're really not spending a whole lot of time in His Word, um, then I think, again, we're beginning to see that you know, maybe we're drifting towards self-sufficiency within our, within our lives in general. Um, another thing you can kind of think about is what, what consumes your thoughts? Like what, this is one of the things that one of the commentaries mentioned. is uh, like what, what are you thinking about constantly? Are you constantly thinking about your future um, in turn, without even like really addressing, like thinking about the Lord in combination with the future, are you thinking about like how am I how am I going to get you know my next paycheck? How am I going to get my next bonus? All that stuff, all those things, not bad, you know. But it's the attitude we kind of approach them with, and a lot of times they can consume us to the point where they become an unhealthy obsession. So, um, so anyway, those are just some indications of some things, maybe some measuring uh, marks for us to look at. Um, Within uh, within our lives to see if we're kind of drifting with that heart of, of self sufficiency. So what does James do? Um, he he corrects him and corrects him in a in a good way. Um, he uh, let's look at verse fourteen and there it says uh, it says you you're saying you're going to go to this town make a spend a year there make a trade and profit and he starts off verse fourteen and says yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Okay. So, what he's doing there, he's basically just stating fact, you know. He's just basically stating no matter what you believe, no matter what religion or faith you're a part of, like none of us know for sure what tomorrow's going to bring. I mean, that's just that's, plain and simple like reality. We can, um, we can say we do, we can, you know, we get into a routine, so we just kind of assume that tomorrow's going to come, you know, all of us are going to wake up, go to work, all that stuff, go to school, whatever you do. Um, have ideas of what tomorrow's going to look like for all of us, but let's step back and in reality. I mean, none of us know, you know. Um, there's, a, there's a whole lot in life that we, we actually don't control. Um, I would say the majority of our life we don't control. Um, don't want to get too, like, crazy make you all think about too much stuff, but, I mean, have you ever thought about the fact that, like, you know, you exist, period? You know, like, you as a person, like me, Matt, Iglesias, the fact that I exist, did I have any control over that? No, not really. Um, the family I was born into? Um, no, I didn't have a control over that. Uh, The just nature in general, we talk about assuming about tomorrow, we've seen tornadoes, floods, all that stuff just destroy lives in a lot of different ways. Um, Those people didn't know that that was coming, you know. And so I'm sure they didn't plan for those things in a lot of ways. Um, And so I think we kind of take a step back. Um, Doesn't mean that we just sit there and just kind of wait for stuff to happen. We play roles, we, we work, we do all the things we're supposed to do. I think in reality, there's very little things that we actually, like, control in our lives. And that's what James is just saying. He's like, look, in reality, you know, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Um, so, he starts off with that. Think, think a little bit more deeply about that. Then he kind of pushes a little bit more. He says, uh, he says, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So, super, like, awesome thing to think about, right? Yeah. Gets us all, like, hyped up. Um, but I think we think about that, like that's, like, he's just saying, look, look at, look at your life in comparison to, like, eternity, look at your life in comparison um, to this world around us. Um, now, if you can uh, pull up the 7 billion picture. All right. Picture I found on the internet. Um, this is uh, just, I think, a couple of years ago, the population of the world officially hit 7 billion. And so the reason I just put the picture up there is just seeing, like, that many zeros for me just kind of puts it into a different perspective you hear 7 billion like that's a pretty big number and just seeing all those zeros that's, that's pretty impressive um, so currently there's over 7 billion people that live on this earth okay um, take that so we're one of like 7 billionish or so um, so we take that um, compare that history of mankind how many people have lived in the past how many people have lived uh, in the, will live in the future you know we're one of I mean billions billions, billions um, we live on this this Earth. We're part of the you know our solar system that uh, revolves around the sun, which is part of the Milky Way galaxy. Um, they, you can pull up that universe picture. Okay, um, so there's over, and this is I just I think this is uh, might be from a book that Louis Giglio wrote that uh, I am not, but I know I am. But he just references this. Um, this may have changed a little bit uh, in the past few years, but um, so we live we're in the Milky Way galaxy. There are over 100 billion known galaxies within the universe, I think is what they say. And some scientists from Harvard that are tons smarter than I am um, kind of put together uh, just a, a map of the known universe, so a well, lot they don't know. Um, and all those, like, dots are galaxies, okay? Pretty crazy, you know? Um, to just to just just kind of see that, okay? So... Looking at our life, like we are super small, you know, like very tiny, and uh, our life is a mist, like in comparison to eternity. The, you know, I forget, I don't know what the average age is for for human life. Um, you know, we'll say 70 years. I'm not really sure if that's right or not. Um, but uh, but anyway, so 70 years in the scope of eternity, very short period of time. Um, so if we kind of think about those things and don't think about them in a healthy way, that's like, man, walk out of here depressed, you know, like a little scary, a little depressing. And I don't think that's what James intended. He may have meant it to kind of scare him a little bit, but not to sit in, like, fear or depression or whatever. Um, and <clears throat> the reason that these questions are important, ultimately, I think what James is probably getting at, is he's kind of forcing them to ask, like, like, what's my life about? Like, what, you know, why am I here? You know, asking some of those deeper questions. Does my life really matter? Um, do, uh, like, what, what is this all about? And I think when we begin to look for the answers to those questions, we're kind of looking at, like, where are we placing our hope? You know, what is our hope resting in? Um, and so James, I think, more than likely, and I don't want to speak for him, but just looking at that, I think that's what he's pushing at. Like, where, you know, where are you placing your hope? So, uh, so, he, you know, doesn't leave, doesn't leave us there. He he kind of uh, shows us a better way to think. He says uh, in verse 15, it says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we live and do this or that. Um, so he is... Um, saying, like, if the Lord will. So basically pointing to the fact that as as believers, as Christians, like, our future um, is with, within the Lord's hands. The sovereign creator of all. Um, like, He is in control of our future. Doesn't mean we just sit back and do nothing. Like We've talked about that numerous times, so I'm not going to go into that too much. But, um, but our future in, is in His hands. Um, and he is a father that loves us, and we're going to go into this a little bit later um, about um, just the depth of this. But this is a, a father that loves us that is far bigger than the the universe. I mean, he spoke that into existence, and so just far bigger than we can imagine. This is who our this is who our uh, our our father is. Um, so James is really trying to get us. Just, I think he's trying to get his people and, and us as well to just change the perspective with which we view life, and um, and to be become humble, but but humble in a way that changes our heart, and that's what this is ultimately about. Because I think you can take this to a couple of extremes. You know, you can take this to the extreme of the church in Jerusalem that he's um, talking to the merchants and all that stuff, and um, they were living life, like, completely, not complete, maybe completely independent of the Lord, you know? Or we can kind of come to this extreme of, like, you, you're so f- fearful of doing anything without hearing a voice from the Lord about what you should do next. Um, which, if you think about that, that's really an aspect of control, too. You want things to work out well. But, so it's not, it's not all about, like, asking the Lord for guidance. It's not about that. What James gets at is, is a heart that is... Uh, is is um, that sees our, ourselves accurately and is completely submitted to the Lord in all aspects. Um, which means we can live life, make decisions, all that stuff, without hearing this audible voice, but still praying, still seeking the Lord, but with an attitude that is in submission to the Lord and trusting in Him. And so, so that's what he's going for. It's not, a, uh, not just about asking the Lord to, to do stuff for us. It's about a heart that, that sees ourselves and sees Him accurately. Um, so, so that's that first section. So just big point, just humility that pushes us. Um, at a heart level to, to see ourselves accurately, to see the Lord accurately. So he moves from there, talking about the merchants. And he moves more to a really fun passage <laughs> um, that uses some very strong language um, that we'll see in a second. So look at, look at chapter 5. We're going to read verses uh, 1 through 6. It says, uh, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have, have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you, and they'll eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. A A lot of fun language in that one. Um, so uh, so let's, let's take a step back and look at really what's, what's going on here. And Brad kind of mentioned this a little bit in his sermon a couple of weeks ago, because I think this makes the tone a little bit more understandable. So let's go, look what's going on. This, actually, in this like, section, a lot of the commentaries that I was reading said that he's, James is actually not, the, the rich that James is talking about here are actually not a part of the, the church. They're not Christians. They're actually the ones that are persecuting the, uh, the, the, the Christians that are, that are spread out. And so what is going on here is you're looking at the, the language and you say, that's kind of harsh. But look at look, kind of look a little bit deeper at what's going on. There's significant like oppression going on, significant oppression. Um, the, the rich, the landowners, they were withholding wages from their workers. And if you look at the, the poor Christians at the time, they lived like day to day. They were dependent upon their daily wages for food, for provision for their family. And so withholding a day's wages meant you didn't eat. Um, so they were withholding these wages at a time of harvest, and so at a time of, where they were reaping their crops, the, the, the time whenever they would gather all their crops, put them into their barns, all that stuff. So their barns were full, so they were withholding wages, um, in a time of abundance for themselves. And, uh, and so that that should like fire us up a little bit. Um, when it talks about, you have, on verse in verse 6, you have condemned and murdered the, the righteous person. So what are you saying, and most of the stuff I read, they, they may not have been actually like, Physically killing them, them themselves, and this is something that Brad mentioned in his uh, in his sermon. Um, but they were using basically using the legal system to put the, these Christians in jail unri- uh, unjustly. Um, a lot of them were put to death as a result of being put in jail. Um, if you look at it from what I just talked about about the, the wages portion of it, you, you know, you get put in jail, you ain't making money for food. Your family's not going to not going to uh, be able to provide for themselves. They're going to be at risk of starvation, and so. So what they're doing is they're um, purposefully putting these Christians and bring them to court and all that stuff um, for, for more profit, for more gain at a time of abundance. Um, and so I think if you take a look, take a back, take, take a step back, and look at what's going on, like James is like he's pastoring his people in this. I think if you look at, put yourself in the place of uh, one of his people that is being persecuted, that is being um, mystery, that is being put to jail. Like, how would you want uh, one, of, uh, one of your pastors to respond? How would you want them to respond to that? Would you want to come up, you know, write you a letter that says, you know, it's okay. It's going to be fine. Don't worry. They're wrong. You know, uh, they shouldn't be doing that. But it's okay. No, I mean, I think... Like, you would want them to be, like, forceful in the way they condemn that stuff, you know? You would want them to show that, like, this is not right. And so, even though James may not be talking directly to the rich, he's ta- I think he's writing this, as a, and this is one of the things that came out in our discussions together. Like, he's writing this, in a sense, for his people to see that this is not, this is not cool. Like, this, I'm, I understand, I'm, I'm aware of what's going on, and, and this is not right. This is, this is not right. Um, so that's one of the ways he's pastoring his people through this part of the passage. Uh, another way he, he's pastoring his people is he is like communicating something important about the, the character of the Lord. And a couple of things I want to hit on in this is that um, the fact that the God is aware and that he is strongly imposed, opposed to injustice. Uh, you look at, uh, let me see, verse, I think it is, yeah, verse 4. Um, it says, the, the the cries of the, the, the laborers whose wages were being withheld and where they were being oppressed um, have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. And so he's saying that the Lord is not blind to your suffering. Like the Lord is not blind to your oppression. Um, he, he is completely aware. And I think that, again, going back to the tone of this... Like, I think what you're seeing is, like, we want a God that is, like, opposed to injustice like this. This is significant injustice. If we would see this today, we would just be in an uproar. The media would be in an uproar about this going on today. And, honestly, it is going on today, just in some more subtle ways. Um, but, but this is, you want a God that's, like, that gets fired up about this stuff. Like, this is not right. This is not how I created the world to be. Um, and you want a God that can do something about that without sinning, you know. And so, when we talk about God, like, His wrath and all that stuff, that's a wrath without sin. And his wrath against evil, stuff that is like harmful to us, to his children. And so we want a God that can take care of that stuff. And so he's communicating, in some ways, the character of the Lord with that. Um, he may also be, and this is just me thinking through this. If one of the, th- I think one of the commentaries said that some of the rich may have been uh, around whenever, like the oppressors may have been, may have heard this being read or heard these letters. And so he may have been providing a little bit of a wake up call to, to some of them, saying, "Look, this is this is where you're." your actions are leading to in eternity. Like some of us, have, you know, for those of us, I'm sure all of us have been at some point where we're kind of really steeped in sin and just almost to the point where we're just like, I don't really care, I'm oblivious and uh, probably a poor word for it. But a lot of times it takes a little bit of a strong like wake-up call for us to be like, no, like this is not, this is not the way I was created. And so that could be a, another thing that's incorporating in this. Um, one other thing that I think he's doing with this, too, is you see, throughout James, um, and really throughout a lot of the New Testament, this is a, a big portion, uh, a fair portion of Jesus' teaching as well. Is he's really communicating the dangers of idolatry of wealth? Um, you look uh, at um, uh, what wealth is, like riches and all that stuff. Wealth in itself, not not a bad thing. Like being wealthy, not not a bad thing. Jesus, the Lord, does not condemn that whatsoever. Um, uh, but what he is saying is beware of idolatry of wealth because wealth is one of those things that is it's just incredibly easy um, to fool us into self-sufficiency it's incredibly easy to fool us into thinking that we have power we have control um, it's very tangible it gives it's for, for a lot of people it gives power um, and so I think he's communicating like these things like if you're placing your hope in these things and one of the things I think Adam and my brother and Taylor they did a, a financial class last summer I think I think that, I think it was last summer they talked about this. Dallas, one of the Dallas Willard quotes, or I don't know if it's a quote or something from his book. But he says basically, you know, the rich and the poor can idolize wealth. You know, it's not uh, uh, a negative towards rich at all. but It's more of a, um, uh, like I said, a heart towards wealth. And, and wealth is extremely. It's very easy to fall into that trap of, of idolizing wealth. And so I think James, in addition to the other things, is probably pastoring his people and saying, you know, don't place your hope in this. Like this, this stuff's fading. Um, so, um, so, you know, talking about the wealth thing, um, really kind of hitting on the idolatry of wealth. But if we take a step back and kind of maybe apply it a little bit more broadly to, to our lives in general, um, uh, we can really apply this, this same theme to any kind of idolatry that pops up with our own lives. I know Josh spent several weeks, uh, I think it was last summer, I mean, uh, in the early spring or whatever, kind of talking about idolatry and, and what it means, and I think that was good for a lot of us, and so I think if we take a step back and look at that, <clears throat> look at, look at that and see um, see some of the lessons we can glean about our own idolatry from that, like what types of things maybe have come up over the years that you're like, you know what, I'm, that's something that I'm holding on way too tight. I'm trying to control, trying to, uh, I'm not really willing to submit to the Lord, whether it be a relationship, whether it be your job, whether it be, you know, you name it, um, and I think when we look at it when we look at the context of this passage like one of the things we learn from this passage is that idolatry is never like it never just affects us you know it never just affects us we've it all it it always affects the people that we love and the people around us um, and so I think when we look at that like uh, we a lot of times tend to think that like, if, if we're holding on to something too tightly and, and we're, we're trying to control even if it's people we love, like, that's, that's, not, that's not good for them. Yeah, that's, that's extremely harmful for them if we're um, being too controlling and too protective. And so, um, so I think we've all been the, the victims of idolatry in the sense where we've all been, like, hurt by someone else's idolatry, whether it be job, uh, money, you know, relationships, whatever. And we saw also, we've also likely been people who have hurt others by our own idolatry, you know, whether it be uh, fear of man, like people's opinions, really want people to like you, all that stuff. I can go on and on about that. Um, but I think he's bringing in important, I think we can kind of glean that from this text, that there is consequences uh, to the people around us from our own idolatry. And so, what, uh, what, does he, what does he do? Okay, Well, James, he points to the reality of of wealth. He points to the reality of these things these idols and basically says, look, these are temporary. Like you're placing your hope in these things. You're trying like these rich or they're trying to um, glean they're hoarding and they're um, they're oppressing you at the at the price of gaining more money. And so the, he's saying he's using a lot of strong language referencing eternity I mean, saying, look, these, are, these things are going to rot. You know, these things aren't going to last. These things are going to fade away. Um, and without the Lord, like, you are heading towards destruction. Like, personally, you're heading towards destruction. Um, and so I think when we look at that, like, I think that can apply broadly. Like, that, that idea of humility uh, in the sense where, like, we realize, recognize our dependence upon the Lord and recognize that we don't depend upon um, those other things that, that, that are very tempting and very easy to, to put our hope in. So, so yeah. So that, again, strong strong wording. But I think we we kind of take a step back and look at it. I think it's probably appropriate. Um, so let's move on. So we've gone through, um, gone through uh, living life as if God wasn't there. He had no part in our lives. And we have gone through just some of the um, oppression that was going on. Some of the idolatry of riches that was going on. Last section, and maybe one more verse after that section. Let's look at verses seven through eleven. It says. Uh, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. So, James kind of turns his attention. So, he's speaking to the rich that aren't Christians and that are oppressing the poor. Now, he's kind of turning his attention towards the the people that are being persecuted, the people that are suffering. um, And and really just kind of pastoring them in some different ways, and some very cool ways. Um, So, um, he's basically telling them, this is... okay. I know you're suffering. He, he kind of displayed that in the previous passage. I know you're suffering. I know that you're hurting and all that stuff. This is not right. Okay. Now here's how you deal with the oppression. Here's how you deal with the suffering. Here's how you deal with the pain. Let's let's walk through that. Um, so <clears throat> he does this in a couple ways. Um, he uses. You see the word patience come up a lot. Patience. Patience. Be patient. Um, be patient. In verse eight and verse seven. Um, it's again in verse 10. So he uses patience a lot. And he, so patience is a big part of, and he uses, also uses steadfastness, which is closely tied to, to patience. But um, he uses patience a lot, and he connects patience to a humility in a couple of different ways. One is that first um, description of the, the farming, the farming description, the agricultural description. Uh, example that he, he uses in verse 7. So see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Um, he says, you also be patient. Um, and so what what he's doing there is, I think he's using this farming example for a couple of reasons, and we'll get, talk about the first one here. Um, so if you look at the Palestinian farmers, those farmers in that area, they were super dependent upon, this is, and this was their livelihood, this was how they made their living and provided for the family. Um, they were super dependent on two, two rains of the year. Uh, I think they said the, the rains in early uh, or late uh, October, November, and then like uh, April, May-ish or so. And so these two rains um, were vital for, um, for their crops to grow and for there to be produce and for their family to be provided for. And so these farmers, they could, they could till, they could plant, they could do all these things. Um, but if the rains didn't come, they didn't, they didn't eat, their, their, their crops wouldn't grow, all that stuff. Um, so they had no control over those rains. They, you know, they, could, they could predict maybe you know, these are going to come, maybe. You know, based off of history, this is typically when they come. Um, but there was no guarantee that they were going to come. And I think when you look at some parallels to enduring suffering, um, a lot of us, uh, we want to control our suffering. And I'm kind of including myself in this. Like we don't like pain, so we want to get out of pain as quickly as possible. And Jake did a good job of, of talking about this whenever he talked uh, several weeks ago. But we just don't, we don't like pain. We want to try to do as much as we can to get out of it. And so we try to control our suffering. We try to just scratch and claw and get all, you know, just get out of the suffering as quick as we can. And I think all, all, a lot of us that have been through that just realize that the more we like push against that stuff, the worse it gets because it's incredibly discouraging because it seems like sometimes the more you scratch and claw, the worse it gets and, and, and you just don't see an end in sight. And so what I think he is doing is saying. Um, like, you don't have control even over your suffering. Now, it doesn't mean that, like, the farmers, it doesn't mean you can't do things to um, to uh, put yourself in a better place within the suffering. It doesn't mean you just sit there and let the lies come in, all that stuff. No, I mean, you, like the farmers, you're tilling, you're planting seed, all that stuff. Um, but ultimately, you don't have control over, like, how long that suffering lasts. And in the, and, and the grand scheme of things, our time on this earth, like, we're going to experience periods of suffering. Until until we die, or the Lord comes back. That's what he's saying is, like, like be... Like, be humble in suffering. Re- release your grip of trying to get out of it. Um, release your attempts at, um, at trying to trying to grasp control of that. Um, uh, so he uses that example of patience. Uh, the second example he uses, and this is again connected to humility, is the example of Job. Um, for those of you all that know this story, the story, the book of Job, um, Job, I'll go through a quick description, he... Uh, was a man that lived a long time ago. Uh, he uh, he was righteous man. Had I mean everything, wealth. He had um, a great family. He had his health. Um, he loved the Lord like he was obedient. Like he, there was not a whole lot of stuff that he didn't have. And uh, so, the opening of the of Job kind of displays this. Uh, displays this conversation between Satan and God and and. Uh, Satan's basically saying, look, Job, yeah, Job loves you. you know, Job, I think God even brings him up. God says, look, have you considered my servant Job? Um, and he's a righteous man all that stuff. And, uh, and Satan's like, well, yeah, he loves you. I mean, you've you given him everything. You know? You've given him all these things. Why wouldn't he love you? I bet you if you take those things away, he's going he's gonna to curse you. And so God's like, all right, all right. You can do, with you, do what you want with him. Um, and I think knowing like the heart of Job and uh, I think God knew the heart of Job even though Job didn't know the heart of Job and so um, so what you see is you see like his, his family taken away from him his his wealth all his lands taken away from him his health I mean he's uh, just everything that can go wrong goes wrong and we don't know how long this lasts lasts for a while um, goes through this period of just questioning like why did you do this Lord um, I'm righteous I didn't do anything to deserve this um, his friends you know so I'm give him terrible advice so I'm going give him okay advice um, and and uh, and even his wife adds to the trouble in some of the advice she gives to him. And so he's just getting, like, he's just going through the, the ringer. Um, and, uh, and I think what we see at the end of Job is just an incredible picture of, um, of what I think the Lord's pushing for all of us in the midst of, like, suffering uh, in times like this, that humility. Let's look at uh, Job 42, verses 1 through 6. So this is at the end, um, towards the end of the book, last chapter in the book. Um, and uh, this is after Job and the Lord have kind of gone back and forth. Job's been like, why are you doing this? God's like, you know, who are you to question me in a very like good way? Um, you want to put that up there, Nate? 42, 1 through 6? Awesome. It says... Uh, let, me turn, let me turn there myself. All right. It says... Um, so then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours... Can be thwarted. Who is this that highest counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, and but now my eyes, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Um, so, pretty incredible like passage right there um, for a lot of reasons. It's been, become one of my, they like, one of my favorites. Um, A couple things before we kind of get into that. When when you talk about, when he says despise myself, um, according to like the ESV study Bible, probably a better description of that, uh, the meaning of that is I recognize the ignorance of my words. So basically Job had been saying like, Lord, like almost accusing the Lord of wrongdoing in a sense, where he's like, I haven't done anything. Like you're bringing this on me, what's the deal, you know? And, And like the Lord never, I don't think he ever... Like, he, it's okay for us to question those things in the midst of, like, tough times. Don't, don't, don't hear me say we're, it's not uh, okay. And Job isn't even saying, I wish I hadn't asked those things. He says, I recognize the ignorance of my words, the fact that I just didn't know you like I like I thought I did. And I'm seeing you now more accurately than I ever have. And he says, uh, he says I despise myself. I recognize the ignorance of my words. He says, and repent in dust and ashes. And um, that word repent there, I think one of the the study Bibles talked about um, that being a similar word to the to the word of like comfort that Job's friends had used um, earlier, and so they they said better maybe a, a more accurate translation would be I take comfort in, in dust and ashes, and so we th- when we think of that like dust and ashes comfort doesn't seem like they you know correspond too well. But I think we can take a step back. Like, that's what the Lord is pushing for when He talks about humility and, and all these areas. That like true humility like, takes comfort in the fact that we are who we are and that the Lord is in control and that we are not. Um, like Job truly came to understand what humility was like. And, and Job never understood the why of his suffering. God never told him about that conversation. He never understood the why. He didn't really get a whole lot of answers to his questions. But he came to understand, and I think James points to this. i have to go back to James. James. Um, James points to like the overall like maybe purpose that behind this and that what the, what Job came to understand and he says uh, in verse eleven and said you have heard of the steadfastness of Job and you have seen the purpose of the, you have seen the purpose of the Lord how the Lord is compassionate and and merciful so in the midst of not getting his an- his questions answered in the midst of just intense suffering all that stuff like Job. Came to understand humility produced the recognition of the Lord as, as compassionate and merciful. So the humility that was produced in that time um, pushed him to this this incredibly accurate view of who the Lord was. And, uh, it was pretty incredible to to see that, and I think those of us that have walked through in periods of intense suffering where we just don't get answers, but we've seen the Lord just come in and just be be, be God. You know, where we don't. It almost gets to the point where we don't need answers anymore. Um, we just know Him to be uh, to be good, um, and so. So, Joe, you know, James kind of points to that. Um, one more thing that he does in this passage that I think is, is super important is he doesn't just... That, that in itself, that lesson in itself would be pretty good in itself. We get to see the Lord more accurately, get to rest in the fact that, like, he is in control and all that stuff. Um, but he also, like, points them towards an incredible truth. And that's just the ultimate, like, truth about suffering and that, that it's going to end. You know, this is not going to last. Some of us... Um, have been through short periods of suffering in this life, and it's, it's been over with. Some people deal with uh, physical ailments, emotional, uh, mental ailments for their entire lives, and um, and so what he's saying is like, trust me in the midst of those. I'm showing you that I'm good, and that I'm compassionate, and I'm merciful in the midst of those. But that this, these are not this is not the end. Like there is a hope that you can rest that that, that humility rests in that I'm a God that's going to to right all those wrongs, that's going to renew all things, that this is not going to be forever. In fact, if you go back to the first passage, if our life is but a mist, like these sufferings and everything are but a mist in comparison to the eternity that we're going to be spending with the Lord. And so just really connecting um, that humility with just the hope that we have. Um, So that's that. Um, Verse 12, and this is one that, uh, (laughs) to be honest with you, I, I read it, and I was like, I have no idea what this has to do with anything else. Um, but, you know, and I don't even know if it does. But we're going to read it and um, we're going to try to to um, maybe just see what it says. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. It says, But above all, bro- my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth um, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So step back and take a look at it um, like uh Still following along that theme of, of of James is like you know live out your faith, be consistent. Um, you know don't say something and not mean it. You know um, uh, be so consistent in your life that you don't have to swear. If you look at uh, like a lot of oaths um, in the Old Testament, like if you look at the Old Testament, actually they encouraged uh, they encouraged using oaths. It was a sign of a committed life. But the thing was they didn't break them. You know that, those oaths were binding. Um, the covenants between the Lord and His people were binding. Um, Covenants between people binding—they were—they were not to be broken. And over the years leading into the time of Jesus and James as well, um, the teachings about oaths had just been so skewed. They were now teaching, like a lot of the rabbis are teaching now, that you know, as long as you don't swear by God, God's name, you, you know, you swear by something else, you can you can break that oath. Don't don't break the one you swear by God, but break, you know, you can you can break that oath. And so, um, I mean, we see that today. I mean, when we're kids, we cross our fingers behind our back, you know, I'm not telling the truth. <laughs> I promise, you know. Um, but uh, we see that, I and mean, we see that in a lot of ways, um, even today. Um, and I think this isn't too much of a stretch, maybe to apply this. But I think when you look at like that theme of humility or whatever, when we when we talk about like swearing oaths, and so, for instance, like if you're saying talking to a friend and you're telling them something that's just crazy, unbelievable, and you're like, no, "I promise, I swear." You know all that stuff. Like, what are you trying to do? You're really trying to control their belief of you. You know, you're really trying to make them believe you and control like their response to your to your actions. You know, and so I think what you know, we can connect this to like that hum- whole humility aspect and be like, you know, you you don't need to do that. You know, you're not you don't need to control other people. Like, like live the way that the Lord's called you to live. Um, be consistent. Um, live out your faith and and leave the rest up to me. Like I'm God. I'm 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 sovereign. Um, so. Um, so we've gone through a, you know, a good bit. I actually finished quicker than I thought I would. Um, but, uh, but I want to kind of just maybe run through a couple of just main points for us to walk away from. Um, and just kind of condense uh, everything before we walk away from here. Um, so throughout the letter, um, James is pointing his people and, and us like away from like self-reliance, away from self-sufficiency. Um, and towards, like, humility and submission. And he's just really attacking that pride, self-sufficiency that we, that we all tend to battle with. Um, but he doesn't just tell us, like, be humble. You know, he doesn't just say, you know what, be humble. Um, all right, that helps. Uh, he gives us, like, the context to view humility and, and the way forward with um, how we're to, to pursue humility. So we go back and look at that, that, um, origin, that the, one of the slides. You know, the purpose of James's letter is, you know, no matter, no matter circumstances, live out your faith. So... So what does that mean? Like, how do we pursue like humility? Um, how do we pursue like understanding humility in the right way in the midst of the, all kind of things we go through, like whether it be oppression, suffering, conflict, all that stuff? Um, a couple of things I want to walk away from from tonight, and this is just kind of a summary, but maybe condensing it a little bit. One is just to embrace our smallness. Um, not something that you hear a whole lot in the world today. Don't, you know, embrace the fact that you're tiny. Embrace the fact that you're uh, uh, you are one of seven billion, or something like that. We um, get variations maybe of that, but truly embrace the fact that you're small. You know, um, smallness doesn't equal like in- insecurity or insignificance. And I think that's what one of the things that, that I think the Lord teaches us is that, um, like, throughout His Word that like embracing our smallness means like means freedom in the sense where uh we embrace the fact that yes like we're not in control yes um our life is a mist in in comparison um but um a big but uh like the freedom the the, the smallness that we have in in the proper view our humility that we have in the proper view um we're in the loving control loving hands of a God that's completely in control um and uh and it allows us, it frees us up to worship. It frees us up to rest, and it frees us up to worship this God who is just um, much uh, more powerful than we could ever imagine, much larger, infinitely larger than we can imagine, and who loves us more deeply than we could ever have, uh, have hoped. So embrace our smallness, too, is uh, just see life as it really is, and, and really is just see what's important. Um, throughout this particular text, and really throughout the Bible, too, um, you see the the writers, the authors, um, comparing the temporal versus the eternal, seen versus the unseen, and uh, and so many times it's so easy for us to put our hope and to throw um, open like the 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 things that we see, the relation our relationships, um, our money, all that stuff that I talked about already. Um, so it's so easy for us to do that. And what he's saying is like, no, those those things are okay, but your ultimate hope does not rest in those things. Um, it does not um, it does not rest in Having those things, your ultimate hope rests in me. And what that does is that again, that idea of freedom it frees us up, frees us up to love other, other people well, to love others well, which um, which I know we'd all want to do. Um, but the more we embrace, like the more we embrace our smallness, and the more we under- like we see life as it is, and uh, embrace the eternal, we begin to see that possessions, the things we put our our hope in, a lot of times are temporal. People, they're they're eternal, and so we get to like we get to love people better. Um, and then the last one is uh, place, your, place your hope in the merciful, compassionate, and sovereign judge. Um, and so when we look at the merciful, like who, you know, God is merciful. He does not uh, give us what we deserve in, in the sense where He doesn't repay us for our sins. We don't have to continue to perform for Him, um, for Him to accept us and love us. Um, we, you know, we live in a world where that's pretty common. We live in a world that's just tough, you know. And so... Um, He is uh, teaching us that He is merciful, even in the midst of the the craziness that is in this world. Um, He he is teaching us that He is merciful. He's compassionate. He's the one that that feels for us, that sympathizes us. We see that most clearly on the cross when Jesus came to this earth, uh, experienced all that we experienced, suffered for us on the cross. He suffered with us. He, He suffers with us currently. And so he is compassionate, and he is uh, like, Lord is our judge, um, and that should not that word judge sometimes produces fear and uh, trembling and all that stuff, and this this uh, view of God being this like angry, angry judge. But no, the judge is the one who's compassionate and merciful. Um, the judge is the one who is um, the only one that's able to destroy evil, to destroy the oppre- oppression, and is going to destroy that oppression um, uh, one day and, and renew all things. And, and in the end, like, like this broken world that we live in, where we experience oppression, where we experience all that stuff, where we fight for humility, um, like this, this, this is a temporary. You know, this is going to end. Um, like when we understand humility and understand the hope that we have, like humility pushes us towards hope by, by nature. Like when we, uh, when we understand that we, when we come to the understanding of humility, um, that means we, we try to find something else to place our hope in because humility means we don't have all the answers, we're not in control. And so um, humility pushes us towards hope. And we look at like the passage in James, everything we've been talking about, um, the things we hear every Sunday here, in, is, uh, like we have a, a hope that just really produces in us freedom and joy. The more we kind of dig in, the more the Lord teaches us. And So, um, so that's, that's it. We're going to spend some time singing, and, and a couple of songs we're just going to communicate just a response to this. Um, uh, and I think just allow the Lord to kind of do some things. The first song is going to communicate our, our response to the fact that the Lord, um, the, the, our response to the hope that we have in Jesus in the midst of this broken world and, uh, and, um, and the freedom that we have to love other people. And then the second song, I just want us just to, to sit and, uh, and just spend some good time in humility, recognizing who we're serving, who, who loves us as, as, as our Father, who is in control, who's sovereign. And uh, and just really hopefully we can kind of come away with the same thing that Job did. You know, I take comfort in dust and ashes. I can take comfort in my smallness. So um, so let's pray. I'll have the band come up and we'll uh, we'll spend some time singing. So Father, I just thank you so much for um, God. Just just your word and the way that you teach us and the way that you love us and the way that uh, sometimes the things that seem just really tough um, Lord you uh, are working in so many ways that we cannot see Lord and that Lord you are teaching us what it means to be humble Lord and, and it's a humility that is combined with hope and it's a humility that um, embraces the fact that we are not in control and we don't have all the answers and um, Lord I just thank you so much that, uh, that you are pushing us all towards that this is a process that you are all mo- you're moving us towards and that every aspect of our lives when um, you are teaching us these things and so um, Lord I just thank you so much I pray that you will um, just continue to, to minister to us in this time. And uh, Lord, just, uh, Lord, just give us that, that combination of, of humility uh, and hope um, as we walk out of here today. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.